Pastor Ray Bentley takes us to a dramatic moment following Jesus' crucifixion. It's early in the morning, and the women are now on their way to minister unto what they think is still the dead body of Jesus Christ. And then something happens that literally shook the whole region and shook all of the disciples. Jesus is alive, and the earth was trembling. Spread news. Welcome to Maranatha Radio with Pastor Ray Bentley. Maranatha, bringing the message of Christ's soon return, the whole gospel to the whole world. Just another misty morning in first century Jerusalem. The air is calm, the birds are singing their morning melodies. But when an empty tomb is discovered, one that was occupied only hours earlier, everything changed forever. Today, Pastor Ray helps us absorb the significance of the resurrection. If you have your Bible, let's open it to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 27. And now, finally, we're going to get to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. (laughs) He is going to rise from the dead. Today's message and sermon, and the title of the message is Proof of the Resurrection. But let's pray and ask for the Lord to speak to us. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. And we thank you for those who are listening, those who are hungry for a word from our Father in heaven. I pray that this will be heavenly bread. It will be living manna. Lord, that it will speak to our hearts. It will nourish us, strengthen us, encourage us. Lord, this is everything. This is ultimately why you came, is to conquer death, which you did on the third day, the day that you rose from the dead, and you now have the keys of life and of eternity. And it is through you, Jesus, that we come to know the Father and be able to be born again, adopted into your family, to become even the bride of Christ, royal heirs of salvation, to be able to share your kingdom, world without end, We see, Father, that there is great turmoil, great spiritual battle going on right now. We find the scriptures and the prophecies aligning that your return is near. The day of the Lord is approaching. And Lord, I pray that hearts would be melted today. I pray that there would come the river of life of the Holy Spirit bubbling and springing up from within us. Out of our innermost being would gush forth rivers of living water. May your Holy Spirit also rain down upon us, come upon us, touch us, Lord, transform us, and may we hear what the Spirit would say to the church today. It's in Jesus' mighty, wonderful name we pray and ask all of these things. Amen. All right, we're going to start with uh, verses 57 through 61 in the first life lesson is that there was a divine intervention. So beginning in chapter 27, verse 57, it says, Now when evening had come, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who himself had also become a disciple of Jesus. 
this man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. This is right after Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit, and then he died. So now we read about this Jewish man, religious leader, Pharisee, Joseph, who it says had become a disciple. And then uh, he comes and asks for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate commanded the body to be given to him. When Joseph had taken the body, he wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and laid it in his new tomb, which he had hewn out of the rock. And he rolled a large stone against the door of the tomb and departed. And Mary Magdalene was there, and the other Mary sitting opposite the tomb. Now, I want to just say this. This is a very interesting little transition. Jesus has just died upon the cross. And now it is, you know, because we know when he died. He died at 3 o'clock in the afternoon on Friday. So from 3 o'clock now until sunset, Sabbath is coming. And it's very important in, in the Jewish law. They can't do burials on the Sabbath. So very quickly now, he must be brought down and his body taken off of the cross. And in Jewish custom, he must be buried very quickly. And if it had not been for the intervention of Joseph of Arimathea, and another gospel tells us there was a second religious leader, Pharisee, who also joined Joseph of Arimathea. His name was Nicodemus. Had those two not appeared at this time, Jesus might not have received a proper burial. Both Joseph and Nicodemus had, as Pharisees, Jewish religious leaders, become believers that Jesus was who he claimed to be, that he was, in fact, the Messiah of Israel. Even though they had not openly testified of their faith, they were believers. It seems that God had kept them hidden, as it were, in order for them to be able to care for the body of Jesus at this time, which was extremely important. I mean, it's very important that these two Jewish men had the access to be able to go and to be given the permission to take the body from the cross and then to bury it. Why? Because it's that same body that will be buried that on the third morning will rise from the dead. So what happens to that body is extremely important. Now, I want to share something with you here because we're thinking here of the first coming of the Messiah, which literally is the prelude to he's coming back. He, he left. He says, I'm going to heaven. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to intercede for you, and I will come again. He came the first time to be the sacrifice for the sins of the world and to fulfill prophecy, to die for us and in our place. And he came as the Lamb of God. And he said, now I'm going to pray for you, to intercede for you as your high priest and mediator with my father. And so he has said, I am going to build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So we've had now nearly 2,000 years. Today, out of the 7 billion people on this planet, roughly 2.6 billion followers, believers, and lovers of Jesus Christ as the Messiah. And so even as there were secret believers then that God used in very special ways, I believe that we are now living in the days when, because of what's happening in the world, what's happening specifically with the Jewish nation and with Israel, 
The preparation is being made for the second coming. He's coming again. He's coming soon. And he's coming as the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's coming to rule. He's coming to reign. And within Israel and within the Jewish population, even to this day, may I say to you that there are Nicodemuses that are in the world today. There are Joseph of Arimathea's that are in the Jewish world and religious and who are like their contemporaries here in the Gospel of Matthew, hidden believers. They have let it be known among some and among few that, you know, I am Jewish to the core of my being. I am ultra or even conservative or orthodox, but I know Yeshua is the Savior. And they're being led of the Lord, and they're sharing their faith, and they're looking for those moments and those opportunities. And I just want you to know there are Josephs of Arimathea, there are Nicodemuses who are among us even in this time. But here was Joseph, kind of Matthew focuses on Joseph because Joseph was not only religious, he was not only a Pharisee, but he was a wealthy man. And God used this wealthy man to help fulfill a prophecy. I want you to look at this, Isaiah chapter 53 verse 9. And they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death. Jesus was crucified between two revolutionary thieves, murderers, but when he was buried, the prophecy of Isaiah, 700 years before Jesus was even born, said, but he will be buried in his death with the rich. So literally, it's another one of, there's about 320 prophecies scattered variously from Genesis to Malachi that, that give you the address of the Messiah. You know how we have seven billion people on the planet. I love it if you want to write a letter to somebody halfway around the world with, you know, four or five lines of information. You can give, you know, here's their street, here's their city, uh, here's their state or their capital and, you know, the, the zip code or whatever, and you can mail it to a specific person. Well, look at this. God was saying, I'm going to give the address. I'm sending a love letter from heaven. It's got 320 lines in it. It can only land one place. It landed on Jesus of Nazareth, who was born in Bethlehem. He fulfilled all of them, and therefore he is the Messiah. So this is one of those address lines. Isaiah 53, 9, they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death. So Joseph, a wealthy man, prepared that tomb for Jesus, and he selected a place. He was wealthy, and so basically you would hire someone, uh, workers, to go into the solid rock, and they would build these caves or tombs. And usually, by the way, they were not just for one person. If you're going to, you know, create a burial site, it's for the family. It's for a number of people. But Joseph apparently in preparation for this, had it dug up, but there had never been a body laying there. It wasn't for his family, but it was specifically for the body of Jesus. Pastor Ray Bentley will have more of today's study in just a moment. Since Pastor Ray went to heaven, so many listeners have shared comments on what his teaching means to them. 
Pastor Ray was influential in teaching us to make the Bible our manual for life. Nothing else was needed and nothing else mattered. He taught us to keep our eyes on Jesus, love God, our neighbors, and the Bible. We can't wait to see him again. God is good all the time. It's so encouraging to hear how Pastor Ray's teachings have touched so many lives through the years, and your prayers are cherished by the Bentley family. If you have a message to share, you can email us, ray at raybentley.com, or post a comment on our homepage at raybentley.com. And now more of today's message from Pastor Ray Bentley. When Joseph and Nicodemus took the body of Jesus and they now prepared him lovingly, carefully, attentively, affectionately to bring him into the tomb, they defiled themselves for Passover weekend. So they were not able to participate in the same way as others. But guess what? I think it was okay because as we know, though they had been defiled because of the dead body of Jesus, were now ministering to the body that would be resurrected. They literally had come to know and experience the Lamb of God, the Passover Lamb of all time. Amen? The door of the tomb was made of a heavy circular-shaped stone that weighed between two and three tons. There was a little channel that would have gone over the, you know, so the solid rock, you, you carve out this opening, and this cylinder stone weighing two to three tons would roll down by its weight and lock into place. So that's what we have there. There's no way that a, you know, few women would be able to move that stone. And as we will find, it would take something supernatural to move that stone. But I want you to look at this. Let's go to the Verses 62 through 66, and note this, without realizing it, because what now the Jewish leaders are going to do in light of Jesus being buried is very interesting. Without realizing it, the Jewish leaders and the Roman government joined forces to help prove the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So look with me beginning in verse 62. It says, on the next day, which followed the day of preparation, the chief priests and Pharisees gathered together to Pilate, saying, Sir, we remember while he was still alive how that deceiver said, After three days I will rise. Therefore, command that the tomb be made secure until the third day. Especially, like, we need to set a watch over this, a guard over this, and especially make sure that nothing happens to this man's body on the third day. Lest his disciples come by night and steal him away and say to the people, he has risen from the dead. And so the last deception will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, you have a guard, go your way. Make it as secure as you know how. And so they went and made the tomb secure, sealing the stone and setting the guard. So here's what's fascinating about this. In contrast to the, the loving attention that you know, was given by Jesus by his friends, notice the plotting and the scheming of the religious leaders against Jesus. It's also interesting, and it appears that all of the disciples, both men and women, 
forgot that Jesus had prophesied and promised on the third day, I will rise from the dead. Have you ever read the gospels and wondered, look, he, you know, you read through the gospel, he would say it, he would go do other miracles and cast out demons and raise people from the dead, and then he would say it again. I'm going to go, I'm gonna be betrayed, I'm gonna be crucified, and on the third day I'm gonna rise from the dead. He didn't just say it one time, he said it several times. But when you read the story of when he's finally crucified, where were the disciples? What was in their minds? They didn't even think about, they, they forgot that prophecy. Even the women, now the women were there and faithful and loyal, and we honored them at the cross, and they were the first ones to go to the tomb, but they were not going to the tomb because they were anticipating, oh, he's going to be risen from the dead. They were going, expecting that his body would still be there, and that they needed to bring spices and honor him because they couldn't do anything on the Sabbath. That's why they got up early in the dark the following morning, on Sunday morning, to be able to go and minister to him. So I think it's fascinating. Pilate permitted the leaders to set a guard at the tomb. So the believers, they weren't thinking of the third day or the resurrection. But notice this, all of the enemies of Jesus, they were all saying, he said he's going to rise on the third day. That's the most important day of this whole thing. We need to set a guard there and make sure nothing happens. So they got Roman guards there and they put a seal to it to make sure. Don't you find that strange? There was Roman guards there was a seal put upon it. By the way, the seal was a rope over the width of the stone covering the entrance of the tomb. On either side of the doorway was a glob of wax securing the rope over the stone. You could not move the stone without breaking the seals, which then those Roman guards who are standing there are responsible. Their careers and their lives were at stake. That seal was the seal of the Roman government and Roman authority. So they did everything they could to make sure, especially on the third day, that stone would not be moved, that seal would not be broken, there would nothing happen to his body, and he would not be stolen on the third day. <laughs> but the irony is they spent so much time and so much work, they joined together Rome, the religious leaders, and then because of what happened, they literally helped to prove that Jesus is risen from the dead. Hallelujah. Okay, so let's move into the story of the resurrection. Here's the victory of King Messiah. Verse 1, chapter 28. Now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, the first day of the week is Sunday, early at the beginning of dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. So they, they're coming, the followers of Jesus of Nazareth. Now they had witnessed the torturous execution of their Savior and of their Lord, and surely they had to begin questioning their own place. If this is what they did to Jesus, he had so much power, he had so much authority. He could talk to the wind and the storms and rebuke it, and it obeyed him. Demons recognized him, and the supernatural came screaming out of people. Blindness, would, eyes would open as he would touch them. Ears would pop, and they would be able to hear. Tongues that were dumb were able to speak. The lame were able to walk. The dead were able to be raised. Why didn't Jesus use his power? 
to keep from going to the execution of the cross? And the obvious answer is because that's why he came. That was the purpose. That was the prophecy. That was the plan. They didn't take his life, but he offered his life. So here is Matthew as an eyewitness of all these things, and he now records the greatest and most controversial event that has ever been reported in human history. I want you to think about the Sabbath. So let's go, you know, from Friday where he was crucified, and then they take his body down, and he gets buried, and now Saturday, the Sabbath. The Sabbath is a very strange day in Israel. For those who have never been to Israel, it's very very unique. You know, we go on tours. We've gone on many tours over there, and, you know, so you're there for about 10, 12 days. So there's always a Sabbath in that, and on that day, our touring gets kind of limited because the whole nation of Israel shuts down. Every other day is so loud. The buses, the people, the busyness. I mean, you know, Jewish people from every culture, background, music, language, taste, food, everything, it's just loud until Sabbath comes. You can feel the tranquility and the quietness. And appropriately, Jesus' body rested in the tomb on what is known as the day of rest. Eerie, quiet, Passover. Jews from all over the world have come to Jerusalem, but now the whole Sabbath is quiet. And in the midst of it all, the disciples are perplexed They're depressed, they're downhearted, their messianic ideals have seemingly just been dashed and crushed. It seems that virtually all of the disciples had accepted the apparent reality that Jesus is dead and gone. And now it's Sunday, early in the morning, and the women are now on their way to minister unto what they think is still the dead body of Jesus Christ. And then something happens. Matthew records something happened in the dark, early dawn, Sunday morning, that literally shook the whole region and shook all of the disciples. There was an earthquake early Sunday morning. Now here's what's eerie. They have had two tremors two seismic earthquakes within a three-day span. If you remember, on Friday, when Jesus was on the cross and he died, there was an earthquake. And now on the third day, there's another earthquake. The first earthquake, he died for the sins of the world. The second earthquake, it's almost as if nature responded because what that earthquake symbolized was nature was responding to the resurrection of the creator of all things. Jesus is alive and the earth was shaking and the earth was trembling. Pastor Ray Bentley with a glimpse at a momentous event, part of God's plan for the redemption of mankind. Glad you've joined us today here on Maranatha Radio, and there's more to come. Today's study is titled Proof of the Resurrection. If you missed any part, you can hear a replay on iTunes or at raybentley.com. That's raybentley.com. We hope you'll stop by our site today. 
When you're there, you can leave a few words in tribute to Pastor Ray's life and ministry. And under media, you'll notice three words, watch, radio, and Devo. Three ways to enjoy Pastor Ray's insights. Plus, click about and find out more about Pastor Ray and find out how you can come into a deeper relationship with the Lord. And at the bottom of the page, you can sign up to receive Pastor Ray's daily devotions via email free of charge. Plus, you'll find other spiritual growth books and resources from Pastor Ray, including his new book called The Final Witness, an eye-opening prophetic fiction novel. So many are enjoying the full five-book series called The Elijah Chronicles. You can, too. And RayBentley.com is always where you'll find the best deals on Pastor Ray's resources. You can also make a donation right there on the site. Your investments help bring the whole gospel to the whole world. Our mailing address is Maranatha Radio, 10752 Coastwood Road, San Diego, California, 92127. Next time, join Pastor Ray for more from our studies in the book of Matthew. More from God's Word next time on Maranatha Radio. Maranatha bringing the message of Christ's soon return, the whole gospel to the whole world. Maranatha Radio with Pastor Ray Bentley is an outreach of Maranatha Chapel, 10752 Coastwood Road, San Diego, California, 92127.